RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Tuesday morning is Tech Tuesday morning here at RCR. And Stephen Sykes is uh, back in the RCR house from the, oh, what do I call it now? The the neural nerve center of the South <laughs> Island. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, um, I'm currently residing in an octopus's um, garden in the shade. Oh, okay, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. You you could kind of imagine that as any place, mm. couldn't you? Actually? Yeah, I, I just borrowed that from the Beatles. Thanks very much. Yeah. Now, there's a story. Um, I think, did Ringo Starr write that song? I think he did. And um, the story is that uh, it was conceived on Peter Sellers' boat on a Swiss lake over alcohol and probably other things. <laughs> yes. They were trying to imagine what was under the boat. I- I'm pretty sure that's the story. Uh, and he it came sounds up good anyway. Or was that Yellow Submarine? I don't, I, I don't know. Anyway, okay, so you're in the octopus's garden, and um, and that's uh, in the heart of the South Island. So what do you want to, where do you want to start on Tech Tuesday today, uh, Stephen? Have we got any feedback, or do we want to go to items in the news for our well, attention? We'll kick off with some feedback. Um, last time we spoke, we talked about the Christchurch Innovation That's uh, right. Expo. Um, got some feedback about that, and some of this ties into conversations we had about electromagnetic radiation. So um, one person wrote in to say that if you are buying LED lights, you must get um, LED lights with a CRI or a color rendering index of 90 or greater. Incandescent bulbs have a CRI of 100. The sun and and fire have 100 um, as well. And a lot of today's cheap uh, LEDs and most of the earlier ones were as low as 70, which gets you some fairly nasty light. And I have come across, and I can't remember what the New Zealand website address is right now, but I did come across something that claimed to be flicker-free and be absent of blue light. And I thought, okay, well, I I should at some point get around to buying some of these and then get them tested to see what the uh, electromagnetic radiation coming off those are. But that's on the to-do list. It's number 16 on the to-do list right after Learn Portuguese. Okay. Funnily enough, I was thinking of doing that because I'm going back to Brazil. And um, I, I found it naturally uh, coming to me when I was there last time. <laughs> I was quoting Red Dwarf. Oh, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where have I been? Yeah. What was that um, that acronym that you gave, that rendering acronym again? CRI, Color Rendering Index. Oh, okay. So all light must have that property. Yeah. Or measurement. You just need to get, get the one that uh, shows in the happy space. Yeah, because... Too low. That's flicker, is it? Uh, no, I think that's that's color. Um, okay, so flicker okay, yeah. flicker is like the quality of the LED driver, and right. it, the flicker is what you can't see with your eyes, but yeah, your but, brain can. Right. So, like sixty cycles a second, kind of thing. That sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is more about color rendering. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, um, natural did, did light we... versus artificial. Yeah. And, and can you what, uh, does that suggest that, that artificial light can simulate kind of the properties of natural light? That would imply that, yes. Yeah, okay. Do we get any others on LEDs? 
We did. Um, where was that one? Here we go. And this is something I talked about too when we uh, were talking about um, EMF. Uh, someone writes in the LED lights affect your pineal gland. The dots on the uh, top of yeah. the poles help create the microwaves to connect and destroy our meridian lines in the body to decrease our spiritual um, immunity. I saw a really good talk on this from an EMF specialist in Aussie who is trying to expose it all there. So the pineal gland, I don't know too much about it, but that's your sort of link with the other realm, your yeah, physical, it, biological sort of um, connector. Yes. it's uh, In other terms, it's referred to as the third eye. Oh, okay. So that's where your intuition and, and kind of gut feelings come from, is that? I think I think that's yeah that's the, the other term for it. Well, a lot of people are screwing it up in this this way in life these days. So maybe there's something in that. Oh yeah, I mean, how you explain um, kind of an intuition where things come to you uh, out of the quite literally out of the blue when you're yeah. doing something unrelated to what you're physically actively doing, and things come to you. So, I, it happens to me all the time, which is probably not something you would tend to associate with a person involved in the tech space because that's usually perceived as a very logical and methodical uh, discipline. Like Spock. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Not logical, Captain. <laughs> Let's say that there's something in this before EMF. So before, what, 1900? Or even, well, mass exposure to EMF is probably more recent than that when radio stations started to come in. But before that would have been, what, Morse tappers, probably. But before that, it was nothing. So that that would suggest that that, that pineal gland was working as it should then. And do, do you think that might, I mean, this is really extending it, but it's interesting, that explain the incredible philosophers of earlier ages. When was the last time you heard any modern-day thinking that blew you away? Uh, uh, not recently. No. We had a um, couple of uh, instances of um, data security incidences. Um, what made mainstream news was the Auckland Transport uh, Hop Card ransomware um, attack, which um, is kind of uh, interesting. Well, a in the fact that it happened, but um, Auckland uh, Transport had said that their ticket and top up machines are only accepting cash payments. Cash. How how would you do that if we were all using CBDCs? Well, why don't they just take cash on the bus? Yeah. Like they did for ever since I can remember. Okay, so someone's targeted that's the hop card specifically, or I wonder if these cards are run on software that is, you know, part of many systems like this globally, and uh, because otherwise you'd have to single out that Auckland um, transport card on its own wouldn't you well you need to take a look at, at all the um, transport cards around because um, even the metro card service in Christchurch has had flaws in it where you could um, on the card um, alter the card's balance as you saw fit if you knew what you were doing that'd be good so unlimited get, transport pretty much and that's exactly what it what it comes down to um, and there were you know um, the uh Attackers were, I think they were after like a million bucks or something like that. And, yep. of course, you, you don't pay out um, these because if uh, they get the idea that, well, okay, these people are going to cough up a million bucks. We'll just do it again. We'll just ask for, ask for more money. Oh, yeah, okay, before you even pay anything. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, like what's their pain threshold? Yeah, like if you if you if you pay out, then you've got no idea as to whether or not they're gonna give you they're gonna honor the agreement, shall we say. Yeah. Or say we want another million now, sorry. Um, though I wonder, are those custom-made, you know, platforms like the hop card, we've got the snapper here, the one that you talked about, or are they cookie cutter off the shelf systems that have already been made that are just, uh, that you just buy into? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know how it, it so works. they wouldn't have developed it themselves. It would have been subcontracted to, to some other company. Um, right. like the, the other thing that, uh, has recently happened is that, uh, a lot of people will have received a letter from, uh, save the children fund in New Zealand. Um, on a letter dated the fifteenth of September. Is they, this an electronic letter or a physical one? Th- this is this is a physical letter oh, yeah. that that got delivered via a postage stamp. And um, so, on the tenth of August, um, they were made aware that Pareto Phone had been a victim of a data breach in April, um, to which um, Save the Children um, New Zealand, um, their own systems um, haven't haven't been impacted as such. Um, so no information relating to the children and families that they work with was stolen. However, um, the information uh, for people who made donations, what it did include uh, was your name, your date of birth, your contact address, your phone number, or your email address. Okay. <laughs> so um, they say that it doesn't include personal financial information like credit cards or bank account numbers. Which yeah, until you hack into through that data into people's personal stuff, then then you've got correct. That. So you just use that metadata and you try it out in other places as well, or you you pretend you are somebody else breaking into another system. So if you want to help mitigate against that kind of thing, you know, for an address, um, use a PO box or. Um, New Zealand Post have um, alternatives. Uh, they have collection locations where you can pick up mail that Countdown, Z, Energy, yep. um, Post Stores. They have secure lockers as well. And as I've said before many weeks ago, use a separate email address, even if it's via an alias, for everything you interact with so that if it, anything does get compromised, then you can just sever a connection. Yeah, and not lose anything necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was an interesting story about metadata that you just mentioned just in the last uh, couple of days, late last week, and that was re- re- related to Biden and a um, text from the laptop from Hill, which put Hunter Biden in the, uh, the the metadata came from an image of Hunter Biden in his dad's Corvette. Mm. And if you may remember, um, Biden had classified documents kicking around in his garage in his Delaware home. Well, at the time that um, Hunter was making the deal with the Chinese uh, equity people and the energy company there, the metadata around that picture put him at his father's geographical location in the few days that he was doing that. And, of course, in the garage of that car were those classified documents. Yep. So... Checkmate. That's when met- the metadata problem comes back to bite you. Yep, and that was from the picture, the picture, the yep. metadata from the picture. Everything so you think you're just there. taking a snap? <laughs> ah, no way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. So getting on to internet censorship, um, this has been a problem that's been brewing for a long, long time. Um, 
we've been talking, well, what's been in the news is uh, the EU Cyber Resilience Act that was proposed um, September 22nd last year and was mostly um, seen to target interconnected equipment like Internet of Things devices. Bridges and and um, cars and things like that. Well, um, light bulbs, fridges, Anything. Thing, okay. things that are connected to the internet. Um, yeah. So in it, there's humans wild, now. Yeah, pretty soon. Yep, it's got a wild definition of what is commercial open source, which includes um, any software project where someone is paid to work on the project or where supports available, which could end up causing um, development to um, software development to um, be pushed out of Europe. And another effect that it has is that the Cyber Resilience Act would force software project owners to publicly report vulnerabilities to some EU institution pretty much immediately as soon as it's discovered. Now, this contradicts the well-established industry best practice in the open source community where issues are reported privately, they are fixed before they're publicly disclosed, and then they're pushed out so everyone gets the software updates and then um, there's a solution available, unless it's a zero-day issue, of course, and then everyone could um, benefit from the fix, and then we can say, okay, well, here's the problem, it's already fixed, um, have a good day. Um, so by having to uh, disclose initially when there's these kinds of uh, exploits that need to be fixed before you fix them, it makes it harder for developers to get the fixes out ahead of cyber um, criminals trying to take advantage of these exploits because you've advised systems. You've transmitted your vulnerabilities. Yes, you've said, hey, there's a problem with this. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah, good. So what is there any you know logic that's been laid out for doing it this way in the face of that? Well, typically, it, this is another reminder of to why you do not give guns to monkeys. Um, or in this in, in yeah. this case, let uh, politicians uh, be influenced by uh, industrial lobbyists, and if they bother to listen to various organisations such as the Linux Foundation um, and a few others who published an open letter to the EU legislators saying, "Well, here's the problem. Um, um, here's what we suggest, and um, do something about it." And of course, they get ignored because another problem they have that the um, the act did not take into account is that, um, uh, well, actually, in theory, the act exempts, and I quote, free and open source software developed or supplied outside the course of a commercial activity. What they don't know or haven't realized is that in the EU, 70% of all software has somewhere in it free and open source software uh, running the show. Yeah. So if you are working on a um, free and open source project and you're not being paid for it, that's okay. Now, the moment you are being paid for it, then it becomes a problem under this legislation. So what's really the difference apart from someone's making some money? Well, um, in practical terms, I'm not too sure um, Yeah. with respect to um to this um act but there's something about the commercializing about the monetizing of 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 that that interests them 
somehow um but at the same time there's many companies that uh, offer free open source solutions um and they do it in in the sense that you pay for support because you yeah. might not have the skill set to do it yourself or the resources whatever so you contract that out to some yeah, so there's that commercializing is that that's been the same thing wouldn't it ultimately yeah well that's yes that includes that because it's it's support of the software as well as writing the software. Okay. All right. So um, if you write it but don't don't make any money of it and don't engage with anyone on your software for any in any commercial sense, then you're okay. You're off the radar. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as you are rewarded for your genius. Um, yeah, the the politicians and the, the the bureaucrats are circling. Yes, yeah, the vultures kick in. Yeah, so it's all about the money again, isn't it? Yeah, and another example of legislation that is not fit for purpose. I mean, um, we, we now have uh, other things uh, coming back, like we've got the Digital Services Act and Online Safety Bill, which, and we were talking earlier on about uh, the buy-in, um, for stuff, then there's, um, and I think I talked about this, I'm trying to think of the day, it could have been May the 9th when I talked about um, the value of privacy. That's and great I, memory. And I talked about the un, the unholy trinity, which yep. includes terrorists, hackers, and pedophiles, which are the um, what um, great authoritarian governments use in order to get you um, yep. To buy into something they're trying to do. And particularly, there's a thing called CSAM, which is child sexual abuse material. So they're trying to say, look, we're trying to do this to save the kids. Now, no one's got, no one has anything against trying to protect children. But, and, and this, is, and this yeah. is what they're, they're saying, we're going to do this for this reason. Well, actually, no, you're not. Now, we always have to look back in history, you know. This Pol Pot, Genghis Khan, Hitler, there's always some bugger out there who wants to take over and rule the world. Yeah. Back then, they were uh, more in your face and a lot more obvious. So what we're in the middle of now is, a, as been said many, many times, we have a war which is spiritual, biological, psychological, and technological. Yeah. So um, what these bills will allow us to do is that um, anything you say and do um, – will be scrutinized and blackmailed, not blackmailed necessarily, but blacklisted. And so there's interesting scenarios that um, could potentially come out of this, um, and I'll talk about those in a minute, but we need to back up the truck a little bit further and go back to um, the Australian government, who in the later part of 2018 passed the Australian Assistance and Access Act or as some people call it, the Ars Act, because that's kind of okay. what it was. It was passed later in the year, basically when Parliament ha had finished for the year, and a lot of the um, MPs were away. So it was it was um, pushed through, and, and I met a guy. Just a coincidence. Yeah, I, I, I met a guy in 2020 at a conference from Australia who, because of this act, uprooted his family, left Australia, and moved to Wellington. Wow. Okay. So he obviously thought he knew what was coming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And of course, it's it's coming. Uh, yeah. It's coming. He managed to stay ahead of it for a little bit. For a little bit, and of course, the reason they try this out in Australia first 
is because they're the only Western democracy that doesn't have a Bill of Rights Act. Oh, okay. Yeah. You could argue that, yes, we have one, but it's not actually worth the paper it's written on. We'd be the second lot then to have it imposed. Yeah, because, you know, a whole lot of stuff gets tried out on us first, like, you know, we're the first people to have ever had FPOS and things like that. I remember that. Yeah, you're right. And look what happened again, COVID. Most of the New Zealand population were quite happy to have their rights suspended completely in front of them. Yeah. So in, in, in some ways, as awful as all of that was, I think one of the silver linings that I observed was that it demonstrates quite publicly, potentially quite publicly, um, your core values. Yeah, the whether it makes whether it's enough to push back. I think you. I think you're on the optimistic side ultimately, aren't you? That that, that will win all this at some point. Uh, and I think uh, I guess then you feel that every time these these things are exposed or in everyone's face, even though it's sold on safety and you know there's all these upsides that kind of make sense if you don't think too deeply. Ultimately, people will get it. Is what you think. Oh, that's what I that's what I hope. Um, I hope, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm I'm, I'm being uh, ignorant about that, but I persist anyhow. So uh, there's some scenarios that could potentially play out here with the way that the Digital Services Act and Online Safety Bill um, could happen. Um, and so this is speculation, but I think it's plausible speculation. So the Act will um, be pushed out and it will be unchallenged um, in Europe, and they um, won't be using people to uh, fact-check. It'll be all done by AI, and, of course, we've talked about the various biases that creep in um, on training data, so there'll be people that will get dobbed in and blacklisted um, for even stuff that is officially approved. Um, There was a time when... It was estimated there were 30,000 people employed in China whose sole job was to uh, scrutinize the internet and decide what could be allowed to be viewed by Chinese citizens um, when they're on the inside. But, of course, they've got ways of reaching out through the great firewall of China um, to get to the outside world. So um, what could also happen... Is that um, because these sort these new laws are so loose and poorly defined and open to wild interpretation and speculation, um, big tech companies could push back. They've done it before. Okay. Yeah. Um, when uh, SOPA um, came around, so, so SOPA was um, January twenty twelve. SOPA is the Stop Online Piracy Act. And, and then it also had PIPA, which was Protect IP Act. Uh, this is when uh, Wikipedia, um, Mozilla, Red Hat, uh, Google, WordPress, and several other companies were threatening um, an internet blackout or a services blackout from their point of view, that if these um, uh, laws the U.S. Congress were going to push through, if they did it, they were going to take their services offline. So in Europe... These um, companies could potentially do the same thing and go, well, if you've got these stupid rules that we can't make sense of and are too costly to implement, we just won't do business in Europe anymore. Switch it off. 
And they're switched off, just just take away. World, yeah. And I mean, um, Meredith Whitaker, who's the president of the Signal Foundation, has basically said something similar. They'll they'll just back out of Europe, and that will put uh, European governments over a barrel, because there's been for a long time big push to put all your data into the cloud. And if these companies say, "Well, we're taking this stuff away," then governments go, "Oh crap! I've got all our data." Okay, that's a point. Yeah. So, oh, so, so there that, is some bargaining power ammo there for yeah. the tech companies. Yes. So if, if if it's unrealistic, they go, well, not going to play that game, and then see ya. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder though, given what's again happened in recent times, if that there's you know sort of a backdoor dealings there too. So, okay, we want this to happen in a business sense, you're saying you can take a hit of X amount. Well, I mean, if they're prepared to put billions, tens of billions into Ukraine without any accountability, which just results in more people being killed, they'll give billions to tech companies to to kind of be on board, wouldn't they? Yeah, or potentially some deal. You do this for us, we'll do this for you. Yeah, so, you know, it's either fiscally neutral in the end or there's 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 more in it than than not. But having said that, um, a little while ago, the EU fined Google, was it $934 million for antitrust practices um, a few years ago as well? So it's it's very muddy and unclear. Um, but, of course, relating back to the first scenario I talked about, um, if the suppression of free speech and privacy is violated so much that people will just get so ticked off with being silenced by, by being wrongly blacklisted that they'll just leave those platforms. They'll yeah. just go away. I mean... That's bad for uh, business. It's bad for business, and uh, that's, that's not a bad thing because um, even if the, these acts come in and aren't made sensible, then... We still have the power as people because all we need to do is take our toys and go and play in another sandpit. Yeah, that's all we need to do. But there has to be another sandpit. There is another sandpit, and we've got a variety of sandpits to to, to play in. So in, in, instead of um, using um, Facebook, there was uh, Jimmy. Was his name Jimmy? Jimmy Wales, he was a co-founder of Wikipedia. Um, He's created um, WT Social, which is um, an alternative to Facebook. You've got um, Diaspora as well. Um, When we talked about decentralization, I talked about uh, Quartal and Urbit, and we've had workshops here in Christchurch about that. You've got Mastodon, which is um, a replacement for uh, Twitter, or we should call it X now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have other options, and all we need to do is stop using the ones that are working against us and use the decentralized ones, and it needs to be decentralized because Facebook clearly is centralized because every time you as Congress want to have a conversation with um, Facebook, then Mark Zuckerberg uh, marches into Congress and they have a conversation about it. Yeah. But when it's decentralized, then there is no head. There are no shareholders. Mm. So that is much harder to control and do anything about. And things like um, Quartal and Urbit, you cannot be deplatformed. 
by design. You can ignore somebody you don't agree with, but you can't be deplatformed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's the critical mass of users, really, isn't it? That because I think the um that um um internet service bill, whatever it was called in the EU, I mean the threshold is like forty eight million users and above. So Mm. you're talking um huge mind you you know you you mentioned that fine 980 million euros or whatever or dollars yeah that's a lot of money for google that's not a huge amount of money and if you look at what you know the likes of pfizer they that's the cost of doing business yeah and potentially you could swing it so that it becomes somehow a tax write-off probably (laughs) and if that's what you pay in 10 or 15 years of activity and you and you amortize it over that period of time, and what you've made in advertising and all of that, it's it's probably not Punch much. It. It's lunch money. Yeah, kind of lunch money. Yeah. All right. So really, not um, not uh, a um, uh, what's the word? A deterrent at all? So much. Yeah. But okay. Um, but the other thing that that they want to do now is um, wrongly, um, the higher ups see encryption as being a bad thing because we can have private conversations and encryption and uh, they, can, can't, they can't spy on us. Yeah. What they don't understand is if the encryption is, say, broken or eradicated, for example, outlawed, then that will completely undermine e-commerce. You will not be able to do financial transactions between banks, buy anything online without there being an absolute real risk of financial information and and data being stolen. Central bank digital currency. But if there's no encryption involved because they've outlawed it, unless they've made an an exception um, in some clause, then, again, um, that's still No, 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 no. no. You eliminate all the other means of money, of online transactions and money changing, et cetera. That goes... Um, and uh, you, you you remove the encryption as part of 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 moving to a point where you go okay CBDC, but that's encrypted, <laughs> and and only that can be. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah. Um, there's uh, what you need need to consider too is that even though various um, messaging uh, solutions that are out there do have end to end encryption. Um, you need to consider that um, the AI on like uh, more modern iPhones, for example, have the capacity to analyze your data when it's unencrypted and it's unencrypted every time that you're working with it. So, you know, you're writing uh, an email. Right. So it's basically like having um, uh, an, an angry leprechaun um, sitting on your shoulder and going, oh, I need to tell Patty and Seamus about this. They're going to love this. And phoning home to Apple and, and, um, like, this is what this person's doing. So even though their um, uh, communication is transmitted um, encrypted, it's when you're interacting with the data on your end. Writing your email. When you're writing your email. And then this is when Jacinda's dream of a two-tier society gets real in the tech space because – while you might be doing the right thing by um, get, getting rid of everything made by Apple and Microsoft and using a de-Google phone, then the other part, the other person who's in that conversation might not be. Yeah. 
So then you get compromised by the other person oh. who's not who's not taking the right technological steps. That's like not being vaccinated or wearing your mask around someone who's, you know, you, you could kill grandmother that way. Exactly. So they become the uh, weak uh, link in the chain. Yeah. yeah. The weak link. The weakest link. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's a minefield, actually. It, it, it is a minefield. And even the, the, the French have been wanting to, and this seems to be, um, the pushback seems to be working, they've wanted to put in web browsers code that will filter out content before you see it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so um, in the free open source um, area, this is qu- easy to work around because it's free open source. So anyone can look at the code, you get the code and go, oh, he- here's that naughty little bit that's filtering out stuff. We'll just rip it out. Yeah. Re- and rewire and, re- and resave. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Anything so, else to, to say about these um, this legislation and the way it's rippling across the globe? Actually, well, yeah, it's it's dumb, it's stupid. We all know that. Um, so even if it does go away, um, it won't go away forever. Um, when Trump got into office, um, he um, killed off um, the threat to net neutrality. But now that that's coming back again. So even if these laws that have been tried out in the EU then filter around to the rest of the world, even if they do back down, they will come back in some form. Yeah. So in in preparation for that, you need to get off these um, platforms. You need to get off the the Apple stuff, the Microsoft stuff, yeah. that um, potentially can have code in it if these backroom deals get done um, that can end up spying on you. Oh dear. Okay. So yeah, that started. That that that's a that's a bit of an ask though, because these are all part of this is all habitual behaviour that you've got to break. It is. It it becomes um, changing your discipline. It becomes an art form. It's a kung fu. It's <laughs> one way of looking at it. To stay ahead of the game. It's really what you're trying to do. Okay. Because if, if you don't, then you get sucked in and. It'll only be those who do nothing to protect themselves with the ones that end up getting um, compromised or, uh, shall we say, um, blacklisted. Well, look and- what happens when they come at you. We don't yep. know the uh, full circumstances, maybe, but Russell Brand's an example of that. Yes. When when the, the decision has been made, you know, literally a ton of bricks descends and lands on you. And yep. everybody is all in piles in. So you've got to be re- – well, that won't maybe happen to the average person, but that just shows you what can happen. Yes. They don't like you. Yeah. They probably yeah. don't like us, Stephen. Well, I wear as a badge of honour. Yeah, me too. All right, anything more to say about any of that? No, I think I think um, that's, that's quite a lot to, to take in for a morning. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll uh, see what the incomings are, and we'll talk about some of those in a week's time when we chat again. Yep, sounds good to me. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.